We got this. We got this. Good morning. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. It's on page 6 and 7 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does, Jesus, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. And will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that that in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Buenos días. La lectura de hoy la encontramos en el Evangelio de San Juan, capítulo 16, versículos 16 al 33. Un poquito y no me verán, de nuevo un poquito y me verán. Entonces algunos de sus discípulos se dijeron unos a otros, ¿qué significa esto que nos dice un poquito y no me verán, de nuevo un poquito y me verán? ¿Y por qué voy al Padre? Decían pues, ¿qué significa esto que dice un poquito? No entendemos lo que está diciendo. Jesús comprendió lo que querían preguntar y les dijo, preguntan entre ustedes de esto, que dije, un poquito y no me verán, y de nuevo un poquito y me verán. De cierto, de cierto les digo que ustedes llorarán y lamentarán, pero el mundo se alegrará. Ustedes tendrán angustia, pero su angustia se convertirá en gozo. La mujer, cuando da a luz, tiene angustia porque ha llegado 
eh, tiene angustia porque ha llegado su hora, pero después de que ha dado a luz, un niño ya no se acuerda del dolor por el gozo de que ha nacido un hombre en el mundo. También ustedes, por cierto, tienen angustia, pero ahora yo los veré otra vez. Se gozará mucho en su corazón y nadie les quitará su gozo. En aquel día no me preguntarán nada. De cierto, de cierto les digo que todo cuanto pidan al Padre en mi nombre, Él se los dará. Hasta ahora no han pedido nada en mi nombre. Pidan y reciban para que su gozo sea completo. Les he hablado de estas cosas en figuras, pero viene la hora cuando ya no les hablaré más en figuras, sino claramente les anunciaré acerca del Padre. En aquel día pedirían en mi nombre, y no les digo que, ya, que yo rogaré al Padre por ustedes, pues el Padre mismo los ama, porque ustedes me han amado y, me, y han creído que yo he salido de la presencia de Dios. Yo salí de la presencia del Padre y he venido al mundo. Otra vez dejo el mundo y voy al Padre. Le dijeron sus discípulos, «He aquí, ahora hablas claramente y no hablas en ninguna figura. Ahora entendemos que sabes todas las cosas y no necesitas que nadie te pregunte. En esto creemos que has salido de Dios». Jesús les respondió, «¿Ahora creen? He aquí, la hora viene y ya ha llegado, en que serán esparcidos cada uno por su lado y me dejarán solo. Pero no estoy solo porque el Padre está conmigo». Les he hablado de estas cosas para que en mí tengan paz. En el mundo tendrán aflicción, pero tengan valor. Yo he venido al vencido al mundo. When Jesus on that first Palm Day, Palm Sunday, rode on that donkey into the city gates, he was riding into trouble. He knew that there many religious authorities were ready to pounce on him. Controversy had already stirred up. In fact, Jesus knew very well that in riding to Jerusalem, he was riding to his death. But why? Isn't that the question? Why? Uh, why would Jesus do that? Why did Jesus come to die? It's an important question, one that's at the heart of the Christian faith, and that's one that we've been exploring over the past two weeks and that will continue today as we move towards Holy Week and towards Good Friday and Easter this coming weekend. And so I preached two weeks ago, Pastor Russ Whitfield from Grace Mosaic last week, and today we have another special guest that's uh, answering that question from the pages of Scripture here in John 16, and that's Pastor Mike Park who's one of the pastors of Grace Downtown and a dear friend of this community. We've been blessed uh, by his preaching and his uh, partnership before in the past. And so let's all welcome Pastor Mike together as he opens God's words for us. All right. Good morning. It's uh, good to be with you. Much better than 9.30, so thanks for starting late. <clears throat> uh, you know, downtown, we meet at 5 p.m., so this whole morning service thing is very foreign to us, but uh, I can see why some of you would be drawn to it. All right, well, let me, um, let's start. Uh, as Duke said, you, we're asking the question, why did Jesus die? And there are many biblical 
and Christological answers to this, but I want to focus on the topic of joy. In Presbyterian circles, joy has become the first man off the bench. We talk about it, okay, but we don't really understand what joy is. We, we think it's for those over there, but not really for us. And uh, we treat it like a throwaway virtue, right? We'll sing about it, we'll pray for it, but what does it really mean to live in that joy? And as such, I think we miss out on grace for us. Jesus calls us to faith, that's for sure. But the fruit of that faith, one of which is joy. And he wants us to experience here on this side of heaven, this joy that awaits us when he returns. So that as we seek to be faithful to his word, as we seek to be faithful to the calling that he has given to us, he calls us to do so with joy. Let's uh, pray before we dive in. God, we are grateful that we can gather to celebrate Christ who on this Sunday many years ago rode into Jerusalem for the final time before suffering and death to offer himself, his peace, his joy, his righteousness to us. And that's why we're here to sing, to celebrate with a longing that we will grow into the very things that you call us. And so would you make that a reality even today? Press these words deep into our hearts. Help us to believe. Help us to love. Help us to rejoice in Christ and the gospel that's given to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. For years, my family collected Safeway Monopoly Peace uh, you know, the game pieces. You guys know what I'm talking about? You go and buy grocery, and they'll give you like a stack of these game pieces. And we did it thinking, this is the year. We're finally going to get that vacation, okay? But every year, we come up short. We're always missing that one piece. So this year, When my wife brought home bags of grocery and a stack of game cards, I said to myself, why bother? Why set myself up for disappointment? I know how this movie ends. I've been down this road, and I've been disappointed before. So I said, go ahead. You do what you want to do, but I'm not going to participate in this thing, okay? Then one day, my family experienced loads into jubilation of biblical biblical proportion. And in the midst of screaming and high-fiving and little kids body-slamming each other, I make out the words, we won, we won. I can't tell you how quickly I became my grandmother. I started talking about Chinese zodiac signs. And how Lydia, my oldest, is not just a pig, but she is the golden pig a sign of wealth and fortune, and that I always believed that Lydia would bring it home one day. Well, as it turns out, one of the kids made a mistake. Now, if you know my family, you know exactly which one I'm talking about. We didn't win. Talk about an emotional roller coaster ride. We went from jubilation. Hawaii, here we come, to who can't match numbers? 
Poor Daniel. I feel so bad for him. Happiness is when you get the acceptance letter. Happiness is when you get the promotion. Happiness is when she agrees to a second date. Happiness is when your husband brings you flowers. Happiness is when your kids actually eat their vegetables. <laughs> Happiness is a state of emotion dictated by external circumstance. Biblical joy shares many of the attributes, but it is not the same thing. You see, happiness, it fluctuates depending on what we're surrounded by, but biblical joy is fixed and rooted in the finished work of Jesus. In other words, in this life where we experience all kinds of emotions because we go through different experiences, Jesus tells us that there is a way to experience joy regardless of your relationship status or your paycheck or the degrees that you have or don't have. You see, we turn to these things to give us happiness, but Jesus gives us something better. He gives us joy. But before we talk about joy, we got to first talk about grief because those two things exist together. And often I think joy is more common. I mean, grief is more common than joy. And how do we understand joy in light of grief that we experience? So let's talk about our first point, grief. Christian faith believes that humanity's core problem is relational. It happened when Adam and Eve questioned God and usurped his power, his authority. And grief, ever since then, has been the bitter fruit of a broken relationship and estrangement from God. And grief casts a long shadow and has a way of strangling life from us. Grief is a disappointment of an unrealized dream. Maybe a rejection from a school, being overlooked for a promotion. Grief is the pain of broken relationships, whether you're in a difficult marriage, you're longing for marriage, or your child decides one day to walk away from his or her faith altogether. Grief is losing a loved one to cancer or to mental illness. All of these things have the signature of death on them. Ever since Eden, humanity's remedy for grief has been to substitute pleasure with joy. It's numbing the pain with another drink or distracting yourself with another show on Netflix or going out another Friday or Saturday night to feel a bit alive, something, anything to avoid the nagging longing for joy that we can't seem to turn off. And the pursuit of pleasure, as many of you know, is exhausting. Jesus offers a different remedy, a better solution. You see, if you are in Christ, grief is not your permanent address. The good news of Christian faith states that God has not left us to ourselves. That when we rebelled against God and his good word, Jesus did not simply say, well, good luck. I hope you can fix this mess on your own. And maybe if you work hard enough, you'll get here. No, Jesus did not leave us 
to ourselves. He has done something about the broken relationship that we experience and live in by coming to us. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem for the final time before his death and resurrection, he brought a word of peace. And that's what he does to us. He comes to us with a word of peace, a word of hope, a word of joy. And as he often does in the Gospel of John, the Apostle John tucks away the Gospel in the two bookend verses of a text, even this one. Follow along. In verse 16, Jesus says, You will see me no more. Here we hear the echoes of judgment when Adam and Eve were exiled from Eden because of their sin. But that is not the end of the story. Jesus goes on to say in verse 16, but you will see me. Estrangement is not the end. Jesus promises that we will see him again and speaks to reconciliation between us and God. How will you do this, Jesus? How will you restore the broken relationship? How will you bring us home. Jesus says in verse 33, I have overcome the world. He will reconcile us to God by overcoming sin and death, by breaking the wall that divides us between us and God, and he will make a way. He'll bring us home so that we can be with the Father again. And these words are powerful The words that we just read in verse 33 are powerful in that Jesus spoke them before his suffering and death. He does not say after resurrection, I have overcome the world, but he stares death in the face and he says, I have overcome the world. And this is the confidence that you and I have, the degree of his faithfulness and love when he offers joy to us. It's not just an empty promise. He may or may not deliver, but he will certainly deliver just as he overcame the world. He will give us joy even on this side of heaven. So let's take a closer look, starting with verse 16. He says, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. The disciples were confused. A little while, what does he mean? And they begin parsing words out. What is the Greek verb here of a little? They sound very Presbyterian, don't they? Things were always getting lost in translation. And Jesus says, let me explain. And he explains three things, starting In verse 19, first, he speaks of separation. He says, you will see me no more, and refers to his death. The second person of Trinity, who came into the world to be like us, will end his earthly journey on the cross. He will expose himself fully to God's judgment and drink the cup of wrath to the very bottom. And on the cross... He bore the weight of sin and faced the horror of death and experienced firsthand the estrangement from God so that he on the cross would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those words, we understand the evil of being distanced from God. 
to live apart from Him. God who is life and life and to live in death and darkness. Jesus would enter that space and He would experience that firsthand for us. You see, Christian faith is unique in that our God not only speaks truths, but He enters into our pain, our brokenness, our mess to become one of us, to identify with us. And he would go all the way to the end, to hell and back, so that he can take us back home. But it would be temporary. Jesus said, and then after a little while. You see, death does not get the final say. Sin will not reign forever. In fact, on the cross, Jesus, although he died, Through his death, he defanged death, and he rendered sin ineffectual. And that's why Jesus was laid in a bar tomb. He checked into Holiday Inn because he wasn't planning to stay long. You see, Jesus' enemies thought it was permanent, that they had won. But if you learn anything from Auburn-Virginia NCAA Final Four game, it's this. Don't celebrate prematurely. Sorry for all the Auburn fans, okay? Let me explain. For those of you who didn't watch the game, Auburn was up by two with less than two seconds left in the game. And Kyle Guy, he missed the three. And at that moment, all the Auburn fans went crazy. They thought the game was over, that they had won. Students stormed some building down there, and the bandwagon was fuller than ever. But the game wasn't over, you see. In the midst of their celebration, they didn't hear the whistle. There was a foul called in the play, and Kyle Guy made all three free throws, and the rest is history. You see, after Satan, sin, and death unleashed their fury, and they laid Jesus in the tomb, they thought they had won. They began celebrating. High-fiving, making plans for the finals. But God blew the whistle and called foul. You see, death is the penalty of sin. But Jesus is without sin. So death couldn't claim Jesus. It had to give him up. And the rest is history. And that's why Jesus says, we We'll see him again. You see, he comes to us to bring us back to the Father. If grief is the bitter fruit of estrangement from God, then joy is the fruit of reconciliation with God. And just as the pain of childbirth is eclipsed by joy, at least I've been told that, (laughs) Jesus says our grief, All the things that strangle life out of us will be overshadowed by joy. How? Well, let's talk about joy. Well, it's hard to talk about joy without talking about Marie Kondo. You know this lady? (laughs) Marie Kondo is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. When I first read the title, I thought she said, the life-changing magic of tithing. I was like, yes. What preacher wouldn't get behind this magic? 
No, she was talking about tidying up. And I thought, surely she does not know my kids. Her mission, she says, is to spark joy in the world through tidying. Again, I don't think she met my kids. I got more dirty socks tucked away under my couch than I own socks. I can't tell you how many like dirty laundry we have on our stairway <laughs> in hopes that our kids would actually pick them up and take them to their room and place them in their dirty laundry basket. It has never happened once. We have to come up with all kinds of bribes, okay, for these guys to at least even acknowledge the laundry that's there. She goes on to say, if anything doesn't bring joy, then she... She recommends you thank the item for its service and toss or donate it. I don't think she's a parent. That, I'm convinced that she's not a parent. Biblical joy has little to do with how clean or how tidy your home is. Amen? I don't know about you, but I need that word, man. <laughs> if my joy depends on how clean my house is, then I'm in for it. In order for us to understand biblical joy, we have to start with the story of Exodus. What is biblical joy? Now, Duke talked about this two weeks ago, so I want to direct your attention to that sermon. And if you get a chance, please listen to it. But I want to focus on how we actually latch ourselves onto that joy, where that joy becomes a reality in our life. What is the story of Exodus? Well... If you go all the way back, you realize that Israel lived under Pharaoh's oppression for 400 years. That God heard their cry and remembered his covenant. He performed the ten plagues or ten signs and delivered Israel from Egypt. And this was a game changer. It changed everything. The slaves were no longer slaves They were given new identity, new life, new land, new freedoms that they couldn't even imagine. That story of Exodus, yes, it is about God delivering his people and how that changes the very course of our life. And the story of Exodus is a paradigm. It serves as a paradigm for the joy we see in the New Testament. And it's only a shadow of the real thing we read about in Jesus God will act once again. He, in Christ, will come, take on flesh, and make his dwelling amongst us. He will live a perfect life, the life that you and I could never live up to. And that he will, in our place, suffer and die on the cross, receiving the full judgment of God. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And Jesus changed everything for us. We now have a new identity as sons and daughters of God. We are no longer defined by our mistakes or even our sin, but we are defined by the finished work of Jesus. We are called his beloved sons, daughters. We are celebrated in the gospel, and that's who we are. If you want biblical joy to be a reality in your life now, you have to preach this to yourself until it becomes a reality in your heart. 
until you can say it for yourself that I am not my mistake or sin, but that I am the child of God. And as children, we have full access to the Father. And He delights in giving good gifts to us. He will not give us stone when we ask for bread. And He would not give us a scorpion when we ask for fish. In fact, He knows what we should be asking for. And He's already at work in bringing those things into a reality in our life. And I know that we don't always see how that actually gets carried out. But that is the promise and the confidence we have as the children that God is for us and not against us. That He is working at all times for the good of His children. If you want biblical joy to be a reality in the midst of all the mess you are in today, then you need to preach this to yourself until you can say it yourself. That you are a child of God and you have full access to our Father. You will never hear Him say, not now, in five minutes. I'm busy. Can't you see? I'm doing sermon prep. You will never hear God say that to you. He will welcome you with open arms. He longs to hear from you. He delights in your presence. And if you understand that, live into that, then you can experience joy. But as I said, Jesus changed everything, not only our identity, but he has also changed. He has given us new freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. So that now as God's people, we can say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. And we can actually grow into the person that God calls us. Christ followers. And I know it's messy. We don't always get it right. But that could be a reality for us. And just imagine what kind of witness we can be. If we collectively, as a community, grow into the identity that we have received as God's followers. That this could be a place where we can love one another regardless of color, regardless of social economic class, regardless of gender. That we can really put aside our differences to look at each other in the face and say, you too are made in the image of God and I love you for that. What a powerful testimony that will be to a watching world that's fed up with all of our doctrine and propositions that we're so quick to throw out. That we will replace platitudes with practice of love, of generosity and hospitality. And there's a lot of joy there too. There is joy in being like Jesus experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart so that you can actually grow to be like Him. That is amazing. And we can experience that joy when we begin to preach this to ourselves and begin to take baby steps toward our new identity as Christ followers. you got to mention one more thing because I think this really is... This is what brings us home, if you will. Jesus changed everything. He gave us a new identity, new freedom, but he has given us 
a better promise. He promises that the best is yet to come. Let me, let me let's say it. Best is yet to come. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, people? When he returns, he will make all things new. And then, as we behold him, we will not only be transformed to become like him, but the world will be the way God has always designed it to be. And we will realize for the first time the beauty, the creativity, the wisdom, the goodness of God in new ways. The best is yet to come, but this is hard to believe, especially for those of us who have it all. We think the best is here and now. We turn to our bank account. We turn to our work. We turn to a circle of friends. And we say, no, no, the best is here and now. And Jesus says, wait, you, you think this is as good as it gets. That the life I offer, the righteousness I offer, the promise that I give is really a fat bank account? A night out with friends? Uh-uh. The best is yet to come. And if we can attach our hearts to this gospel truth and begin to live into these realities that Jesus offers, we can experience joy. But here's the thing. Joy doesn't happen automatically. It's a virtue. Like love, we need to practice and cultivate joy. And it comes through the hard work of preaching the gospel to our hearts and wrestling with our unbelieving hearts in prayer. If we skip these two things, joy will always be something beyond our reach. So Christians, let me ask you, as much as you long for this joy to be a reality, do you do the hard work of preaching the gospel, reminding yourself of that, and wrestling your heart in prayer? And I know we, none of us do this perfectly. And we can always do more than we do. Trust me. I confess. But this is the pathway to joy. And it is true that one day all this will become a reality. But here... On this side of heaven, we live in the tension of grief and joy. They coexist. They're horrible roommates, really. But grief is temporary. It has an exp expiration date also. Joy and grief, although they coexist, they're not equals. Joy overwhelms our grief. Because we can say with confidence in light of the gospel that we have something better. We have Jesus. At uh, Grace Downtown, we sometimes go out on staff lunch together. And sometimes, you know, uh, different members on, on staff will order salad. And those things always come out first. And uh, they feel kind of guilty, so they offer salad to me. They're like, hey, uh, Mike, do you want some salad? Now, you have to understand, I am 
I'm a meat guy. I'm a, I, I'm, a, I'm a bacon guy. So when they offer salad, it's easy for me to say, no thanks, and pass on salad. Whether it's kale, romaine lettuce, beets, I don't know what else is there. That green stuff, red stuff, purple stuff, no thanks. Because I got something better coming. You see what I mean? I got a medium rare cheeseburger with bacon coming. And so your, your salad, this thing that you're eating and trying to enjoy really hard, convincing yourself that that's actually good for you, it's got no pull on me, man. No. I got something better. And that, I think, is the reality for Christians. Now, if you're a vegetarian, you're like, you lost me. I'm sorry. The world will promise all kinds of things. And in the midst of all the grief we go through, the world will say, only if, and you fill in the blank with all kinds of stuff. And it will say, only if you can have that, experience that, taste that, do that, then you will be truly happy. And Jesus says, no, you are not. And he offers something far better than the things of this world. He offers himself. And if we, by faith, latch onto that, we can say to the things of this world, as they're thrown at us at a million miles per hour, we can say, thanks, but no thanks. I got something better. C.S. Lewis is right when he said, all joy reminds it is never a possession. You don't have joy. It's not in you. It's not in what you do. It's not in what you have. It's, it's not something you possess. But it's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. So Christians, let me say without belittling the circumstance that you're going through. And I know many of you struggle with all kinds of things. And I want to be as sensitive as I can. But let me say, despite unrealized dreams and broken relationships, you can experience deep and abiding joy because in Christ, you have something better. And even in the face of death, God's people can know joy because Christ promises us something better. So even if your situation doesn't change and you feel the grip of grief closing in on you, trying to strangle life out of you, you can still experience powerful, life-giving joy in Christ. Why? It's as Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Jesus, we are so grateful for your kindness toward us. Thank you that you offer a better way, better solution, a better hope. We know that in you and because of you, we can have this joy. 
And Lord, we need it. We are longing for it. We are tired of the empty promises of this world. We see, we see right through the veneer, the superficial veneer of pleasure. We need you, Lord. Give us faith to believe and help us to live into the joy that you offer us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.